Amen. Hey, thank you guys for being here today. We are going to be in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah is actually one of my favorite books of scripture. And today what we're going to be doing is we are going to see if we can get a glimpse of our enemy's playbook. Now, I'll go ahead and be honest with you. When I was a kid, I was really into video games. And there was one game that stood out like above every other. And for the past 20 plus years, this game has been the most highly sold game in the country. And that is still Madden NFL football. The game Madden is still the most popular game in America. It has sold millions upon millions of copies of people playing this video game. Now, let me tell you how this video game works. When you play with a friend, you play on one television. Well, the way this works is the television screen basically gets cut in half. You have your half of the screen and your friend's half of the screen when you're picking place. Now, what you say is, now you just keep your eyes on your half of the screen and I'll keep my eyes on my half of the screen so that we don't know what each other's plays are calling because that's fair. Nobody does it that way. Everybody always waits and watches to see what their friend is going to pick. Because if you know what play they are going to call, it greatly helps you to know how you are going to run the play that you want to call. It makes total sense. See, we know that there have been so many different football teams, Patriots, that get in trouble for doing this type of thing where they steal people's playbooks. They try to see if they can figure out what plays people are calling. Coaches, even in the high school level, have great schemes that they come up with to make sure that as they call plays, the enemy still will have no idea what play they are calling. Because if you know the place, if you know how your enemy works, you know how you can defeat him. So today we're going to study how Satan works, what Satan Satan does what plays Satan calls so that we in turn can do better. Now, if you are a football coach, if you play football, if you play any sport, what is some of the most crucial information that you can get your hands on before you play a team? Their game film. You want to know what players play, what players don't, what their schemes are, and you still Study it. Nehemiah chapter 6 is a great example of how Satan works, how our enemy comes against us. Now, just to catch us up a little bit, last week we were in the book of Ezra. And Ezra talks about three guys. You have Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Zerubbabel came in and rebuilt the temple after the temple had been destroyed in Jerusalem. This is after the exile. Ezra comes in, and Ezra kind of re-brings back up the culture. He gets people's eyes and mindsets back fixed on the Lord. He tries to get them to understand the culture should be restored to what it once was, meaning that all of their eyes should be fixed on the Lord, on the Word, and not on culture. And then you have Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes in at an interesting time. He comes in to rebuild the walls. See, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He was born in exile, and he hears that the walls had still not been built back up. It was no secret that the walls had been torn down. That's not why Nehemiah got upset. 
upset. Nehemiah got upset because he realized that they still hadn't repaired them. And so God actually broke Nehemiah's heart over this and made Nehemiah miserable over this situation. So Nehemiah gets miserable and he chooses to make his misery his ministry. Now he's the cupbearer to the king and not only does he take his misery and make it his ministry, he makes it his calling. He's willing to trade his comfort for his calling. See, he was underneath the king. He was still seen as a slave, but he really had a pretty good gig because everything was provided for him. He had the king's ear. He was a friend of the most high king in the land. And so what he ends up doing, God ends up orchestrating this crazy event where the king releases Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes to the king, and no lie, he says, hey, I want to build a wall, and I want you to pay for it. And the king says, sure. Now tell me God isn't working in that situation. So that's exactly what happens. He gets to go build the wall. The king funds it. The pagan king funds the Christian's wall. Think about how insane this is. So then he goes over, he comes to the group of people that have already returned, and he says, listen, the wall has been torn down for 150 years. I think it's about time we build it. And you know what scripture says? The people said, okay. That's how we know they weren't Baptists because there wasn't a debate about a building program. It was fantastic. The people get so pumped. They get so excited. And then they turn around and they start to build this wall and things are going fantastic. Things couldn't be going better. Now they had adversity come. Things are getting tough, but they're almost done. This wall is so important. They have to keep on task. But here's why. Here's why this wall is so important. So one thing I found out, obviously the wall is important because it defense against your enemies. It's also defense against wild animals. They had issues back then. But then also, this is something I didn't know, defense against strong winds. Now, from what I hear, if you go into that area, they still today have crazy strong winds. But if you have the wall, it can protect your community from them. But then also, this is the biggest, it was such a sense of... Of pride. It was a sense of pride to your city. You wanted to make sure that your city looked good, so you had pride in it, so people didn't make fun of you. Now, see, the other day we had an issue in my house. We had a water leak in the ceiling from the second floor. So, what ends up happening is it starts to pool in your ceiling of your first floor. And so, in order to get that fixed, we have a great plumber that comes to our church. He turns around, he's able to fix it for me. No big deal. The problem is fixed, except we have a new problem. What is that? There's a hole in my ceiling. Now, I'll just be honest with you. That three foot by three foot hole really doesn't bother me. I'm cool. I choose not to look up. We're okay. But my wife has definitely made it clear that we can't have people over until that hole is fixed. You know what I mean? I, I think we all can be a little bit like that, where if there's something wrong with our house, you wouldn't be that proud of it. You want that to get fixed, and you want it to get fixed fast. That's where, that's where they are. That's embarrassing to them. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. They are ashamed of the state of their walls and their gates. Nehemiah 2.17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruin when its gates burn. Come, let us build the wall in Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer 
derision, which is just a fancy word to say ridicule or mockery. They are being made fun of. The temple has been rebuilt. The culture is thriving. Things are all coming together. Inside, the temple looks great. Inside, the community looks great. But the walls don't. And it says that the rubble was still there. So he's going, we are being made fun of. We've got to fix this. And so Nehemiah gets on track. He starts to work and things couldn't be going any better. But then we find this issue. We find that an enemy rises up. Now, the enemy, actually, there's going to be three people mentioned in the text. And we'll get to that in a second. Three people. But can I go ahead and tell you that that's not really the enemy there. I believe scripture really is honest when it says we fight a battle, not of flesh and blood, but of principalities. And what I believe that means is that Satan is our enemy. And behind the attacks and our walks with the Lord, behind the attacks of temptation, Satan is present. What we have to remember is we serve a God that has a plan for our life. Jeremiah 29, 11, such a quotable verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, the Lord declares that. Do you know that Satan has one he could declare too? For I know the plans I have for you, declares Satan. Plans to destroy you. Plans to hurt you. Plans to diminish you. And hurt the gospel through you. See, we talk about the plans that Jesus has for our lives. But do you recognize that the enemy has a plan for you too? We love to talk about how God has this plan, this perfect plan. Matthew 7 verses 13 through 14 I think is a great example of this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. But then there's this gate that's narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. See, we have to recognize that Satan also has a will and a plan and a desire for our lives. And he wants to manipulate us to go down. And the football game, the battle that we are in is making sure that we choose the right path. Now, Why is the path that leads to destruction easier? Because Satan paves that path in your life every single day. Not only that, not only is he working to get you to follow the path to destruction. Also, there are so many people that are going down it compared to the people that are walking in the ways of the righteous. See, it says that the path that leads to death and destruction is wide. The path that leads to righteousness and salvation is narrow. Very few Find it. If you follow the majority, you will be in the path of the enemy. That's exactly what this is explaining. Satan has a goal for your life just like the Lord does. And today, the key question we need to ask, if God is eager to protect us from Satan's schemes, how can we cooperate with him so we can enjoy God's protection So what is the devil's playbook and how do we rival? So if we know offensively what play the enemy's going to call, how do we set up our defense to respond? The first thing we have to do is recognize this. We must remain focused on Jesus when Satan tries to distract us. Always remain focused. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now when Samballot 
and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time, I had not set up the doors in the gate. So they're almost done. Samballot and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same way. So the enemy absolutely wants to distract us from the work. And he's going to use people to do it. So they're almost done. The wall is almost finished. They are in the final lap. That's a very dangerous place to be. I think often Christians fail later on in life because you think that the battle is already won. You think that the race is already won and you put your guards down. When you think the job is almost over, it's uh, just so often, it's the time when you are most likely to fail. Do you recognize that most people get in a wreck when they are less than two miles from their home? Do you recognize that Dale Earnhardt died in a crash on the last turn of the last lap of his last race? Y'all, when you get close to the finish line, we put our guards down. One thing I love to do is I love to run, and as I've studied running, one thing I find is interesting is if you go on YouTube, you can watch people at the finish line. And at the finish line, what happens is they call it the wall. A marathon is 26.2 miles, and they call that point two the wall because what ends up happening is when runners hit it, my goodness, their bodies can do some crazy, insane things. They get something I call jelly legs where literally their legs just turn into rubber and they just look foolish as they're trying to run to the finish line. Often people pass out and that last point two, don't take the end for granted. Don't get distracted at the very end. The enemy wants for you to think that you have got everything together. The enemy wants for you to think that everything's going well, that nothing can stop you. And the moment you put your guard down, the moment you don't pay attention is the moment that you fall on your face. And so these three men come up, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. See, just like we can be a tool in the hand of the Lord, we can also be a tool in the hand of the enemy. Do you recognize that? Listen, I think I, I, I will totally stand behind this 365 days a year. If you are a Christian, it means that Satan cannot control you. He cannot possess you. Jesus does not move over to make way for the enemy. If the Lord is in you, you are good. But can I go ahead and tell you, you can be used in the will of Satan because I've seen it happen way too often. Christians have been used to hurt the kingdom so many different times. And just like Jesus can use you as a tool to build the kingdom, Satan can use you as a tool to destroy it and hurt it and hurt others. And this is what's going on. These guys aren't Christians, but Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Geshem, three men come up. Now, why in the world do they have a problem? Why in the world would they have an issue? Why in the world would they care that Jerusalem is being built? Well, Sam Ballot and Tobiah were both governors. 
in nearby cities. One was in Samaria, one was in Ammon. So one was to the north, one was to the east. And they knew that if that kingdom got built up, it would take away financial stability. They would not have the same amount of business coming to their cities as they did before. So they're worried about their finances. But then also you have Geshem, who was an Arab, who was an utter enemy of the Jews. He hated their faith. He didn't want for the kingdom to get rebuilt because he didn't want to see the faith get rebuilt. And so what they're trying to figure out is how to tear them down. So they scheme and they come up with this idea. Let's have Nehemiah come to the plains of Ono. Now, I just find it humorous that the plain is literally called Ono because Nehemiah said no, no to Ono. Here's what goes on. Nehemiah ends up hearing that they want him to leave and go to the plain. Now, why do they want him to go to the plain of Ono? Well, they make it seem like they just want to have a little meeting. Hey, can the generals just get together? And can we all just talk? Can we just meet? Maybe we can come up with a compromise. Maybe we can come up with a treaty. Maybe we can come up with a mutual understanding. Or part of me wonders if they were trying to appeal to Nehemiah's pride. Because their goal was to kill Nehemiah when they got him away from the wall. Then they were going to come in and destroy the wall. So I kind of wonder if they thought, hey, listen, if we come up with this idea that Nehemiah can come and gather with us, maybe that will appeal to his pride because he can come and brag about what God's been doing. He can come and brag about how well the wall's been going. He can brag about how he has done what we said couldn't be done. And the moment we get him away from the work, the work will stop and we will kill Nehemiah. And the problem will be finished. But Nehemiah was too smart for that. Nehemiah recognized something. Nehemiah recognized that when you get secluded, when you get isolated, you get vulnerable. They wanted him to leave his people, leave his group, leave his protection and go and spend time with them. Can I go ahead and tell you that that's how the enemy works? That is one of the first plays the enemy wants to run at the start of every single game. He wants to isolate Christians because he recognizes that an isolated Christian is a weak and a vulnerable Christian. It is like a community without a wall. It is like a house without a front door. When you do not have community, you are weak. Why do you think Emmanuel invests so much time, effort, and energy into developing community groups? We want to make sure that we have covenant groups, make sure that we have life groups so you can have every opportunity to have community so you do not feel isolated. Listen, One of the biggest things that I want for you to understand about Emmanuel is we recognize that we are a big church for this area. People love to tell me that, hey, Emmanuel's just too big for me. I've heard this so many times. Emmanuel's too big for me. I don't know everybody. Not everybody knows me. Well, guess what? There's a solution to that. And I'll just scream it from the rooftops every single time. That's our community groups. That's our covenant groups. That's our life groups. It doesn't matter if everybody knows you. It just matters that some people do. You recognize that if you're looking for community, we have those opportunities available. That's how you grow. That's how you get involved. Let me say something bold that most pastors won't say, but I ain't scared. Here's what it is. If you can only give one hour to the church a week, I would rather you come and be involved in one of our small groups than be involved in this. This is the pep rally. This is the excitement. This is where we get in the word. But can I go ahead and tell you, you need community 
more than you need this. Hear me. I believe that. Make effort because isolation is one of the plays the enemy uses. And once you feel isolated, it's when you start to fall. It's when you start to falter. And people aren't pay attention, don't pay attention to the one that's isolated. When you're in community and you start to fall, you start to falter. The enemy starts to conquer. Your team rallies around you. But when you're isolated, you are a team of one and nobody wins a game that way. Listen, do not allow the enemy to isolate you. Make sure you're involved in a church. Make sure you're involved in community. So Satan, when Satan can't defeat you or stop you from doing what God wants you to do, he distracts you. He does that with isolation. He does that with trying to convince you that what you're doing isn't that big of a deal. Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. And people might argue, building walls is not a great work. Being a stay-at-home mom is not a great work. Working in a company is not a great work. Being the employee but not the boss is not a great work. Listen, whatever God has called you to do has become a great work. Whatever God has called you to do is your great work. And don't get caught up with distractions. Make yourself so busy in your work that distractions don't have any foothold because you're not going to give time to distractions or temptation because you are committed to the great work that God has called you to do. One of the things the enemy loves to do, another play he likes to throw out there, he loves to tell you that what you're doing isn't important. He loves to attack even the way you serve in the church. Hey, listen, you might be in the choir, but you'll never sing a solo. That's okay. If you're called to be in the choir, you're called to be in the choir. That's your great work. Hey, listen, you're called in the nursery, but all Erin ever sets you to do is to change diapers. She never lets you lead children to the Lord. Well, that's your great work. Can I go ahead and tell you that I believe that some people in this church, that is their calling, is to work with young little snotty-nosed babies. I say it and I can because I got one. Hear me. Listen, every time I hand them over to them, they come back, they hand it back, and they're covered in barf, and they love it. They're grateful, and I'm grateful for them. Listen, hear me. Do not make light of what God has called you to do. Whatever God has set before you has become your great work. You are the CEO in your calling. You are the CEO. You are the one that is going to make sure that you fulfill what God has called you to do. Do not make light of the work that God has created you for. Real Christianity is glorifying to God even when it is not glamorous to us. See, so many people want to be preachers and all these young men want to be preachers because they think it's so glamorous. I heard a quote the other day, actually met a kid that said this. He said, listen, I had to quit seminary and quit college because God called me to preach, not to study. What do you think preaching is, you idiot? Like we have to spend so many hours studying, but it's because they get caught up in their mind that, hey, it's all about the glamour. It's all about the flash. It's all about the fun. It's about the work. 
Don't be afraid to work hard for the honor and the glory of God. God didn't call us to glamour. God called us to obedience. God called us to work. God called us to be faithful. Nehemiah was literally building a wall with a sword in one hand and a tool in the other. He wasn't just acting like he was the one in charge. He wasn't just the foreman. He wasn't wearing a white hat. He was the one standing there doing it with his people because that is what God had called him and charged him to do. And that was his great work. So remain focused on Jesus when Satan tries to distract you. The next thing, we remain fearless for Jesus when Satan tries to discredit you. So in verse 5, in the same way. So after he had turned him down four times, Sam Ballack comes back for the fifth time. Send his servant to me with an open letter in hand. See, most letters were closed. They were sealed. But this letter is open. Why? Because Sam Ballot was showing everybody. He was spreading this vicious rumor. Verse 6. It was written. It is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it. That you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to be their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. So he's turning up the heat. See, when you resist the enemy, don't think that the enemy gets scared. The enemy turns up the heat. Expect it. So here's what happens. He ends up turning him down four times. The fifth time, he says, listen, we're going to come together. We're going to create this lie. And we're going to tell everybody. We're going to create this crazy gossip. We're going to spread it as far as we can to see if we can get Nehemiah in trouble and get him to meet with us, get him scared. And so what we're going to do is we're going to tell everybody that Nehemiah wants to rise up the Jewish people and go against the king that sent him. He wants to go up against the king and he's going to become their king. And we're also going to make up this lie that he appointed all these prophets to proclaim that he was the king. Now here's the thing. Gossip destroys. Gossip hurts. Gossip is painful. And let me go ahead and say this. Gossip has no room in the church, this church or any church. Listen, this church doesn't have a major problem with this, but let me go ahead and say this. I want to do some housekeeping so we don't. We don't play that game. And hear, hear me. I don't play the game of anybody coming up to me. This hasn't happened, but I'm just going to go ahead and prep you because don't be the guy that makes it happen. I, I don't play the game of, hey, listen, a lot of people don't agree with you. Hey, 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 a lot of people don't feel like that. Hey, a lot of people are upset. A lot of people are talking to me, so I'm just giving you the message. Listen, I don't take anonymous complaints. If you have a problem, you Matthew 18, you come to me. That's what we do with one another. We do not gossip about our problems. We do not gossip about our disagreements. We come to the source and we confront with the love of Jesus, the grace and the peace that we find in Christ. That's how we handle our issues. But that's not what these people do. They spread this vicious rumor trying to get him afraid trying to get him upset trying to get him to do what they want but nehemiah doesn't buy it now here's the thing every good rumor starts off with a little kernel of truth they start off with this little kernel of truth and they had a little kernel see the kernel of truth was that the prophets were appointed by god not by nehemiah 
And the prophets were proclaiming a king. And Nehemiah was hoping that one day Jerusalem would have a new king. But not the type that they were thinking. See, this is where everything skewed. They said that Nehemiah wanted to be king. Nehemiah never wanted to be king. You know what king they were prophesying over? Jesus. They were prophesying over the coming king of kings, the coming Lord of the lords, the one who was coming to rule and reign. They were waiting for Jesus. See, it's interesting that as we do everything we can to follow after Jesus, the world is going to use our faithfulness to make us look bad. They're going to do everything they can to make us look bad, and that's what ends up Happening Now, this is no secret. John 5, 18 through 20 basically says, Jesus says, listen, if the world has hated me, the world will hate you. But take heart. I have called you out of this world. If they would have listened to me, they would listen to you. But you're not of them. You're of me. So expect to be hated. Expect to be persecuted. Nehemiah responds to this so well. I love this. I sent to them saying, verse 8, no such thing as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own minds. That's not true. You're lying. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from their work and it will not be done. So Nehemiah chooses not to get hurt. He chooses to see what they're trying to accomplish. He doesn't get worried about his own reputation. He worries about the job God has called him to do, and then he prays. But now, oh God, strengthen my hand. See, listen, we, we don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't negotiate with people that want to do us harm. See, I heard a story once about a hunter that was about to shoot a grizzly bear. And in the moment he was about to shoot the grizzly bear, the grizzly bear stood up and talked. And he said, hold on, hold on. Why don't we talk about this to where we can come to a mutual understanding, a mutual agreement? So the man and the grizzly bear sat down together. And the grizzly bear said, well, what do you want? And the man said, I want a new fur coat. What do you want? The grizzly bear said, well, I want a full stomach. Well, a few minutes later, the grizzly bear walked away and they both got what they want. The man, his fur coat, and the grizzly bear, his full stomach. Do you get it? The man ate the grizzly bear. No, the other way around. The grizzly bear ate the man. That's where I am. (laughs) Hear me. You think that you can somehow talk your way out of situations, but you can't. And the more time you try to spend defending yourself, the more time you're off of the wall, the more time you're off of the job, the more time your hands aren't busy doing what God has called you to do. Here's what I've read all over scripture. God says that he's my strong tower. He's my protector. He's my provider. He will fight against my enemies. He never tells me to. He tells me to be faithful to serve in whatever area he's called me to serve. So when people attack me, It can be a distraction to take me away from God's work that he wants me to do. I don't have time to defend myself. That's God's job. He is my watchman. He is my protector. He guards you. You simply serve him. Don't worry about protecting yourself. Don't worry about fighting your battle. God never tells you to fight your battles. 
He says, I will fight your battles. I will already, I love this. When we look in the Old Testament and God talks about battles, you know what he talks about? He says, the battle is already won. He talks in a future tense about a battle that hasn't already been fought yet because he knows victory belongs to him. Have faith in that God and quit wasting the time that you should be serving trying to defend yourself. Nehemiah does a couple things. Intentional prayer. He prays to the Lord, oh God, strengthen my hand. But then we see Nehemiah has something else I just have to bring out before we go. He has a mastery, an understanding of the word of God. See, in verse 10, it tells this, the end of the story. Sanballat ends up going to a prophet, a false prophet. And what he tells this false prophet is, can you try to trick Nehemiah into messing up? So this false prophet and Nehemiah meet. And Nehemiah says, hey man, speak for the Lord. Give me some advice. He didn't realize that this prophet had been paid off. And so what he ends up doing is he says, Nehemiah, seek refuge in the temple. Come hide in the Holy of Holies. Come hide in the temple where only the high priest should go and you'll be safe. Nehemiah knew the word. Nehemiah knew that no man besides the high priest should go into that temple. Nehemiah knew the word and he knew when somebody was trying to trick him because he knew truth so well. He was dedicated to the word, dedicated to his work, and he could not be fooled. I love this. Listen, it's important to know your enemy's playbook, but can I tell you something? If you don't know your own playbook, you're worthless. If you don't know how to call your own plays, you are worthless. And we have the word of God as our playbook. And we have so many Christians that do not know what it says. Study God's word, know God's word. So when the enemy comes against you, you know what truth is. And because you know what truth is, you know what lies are. Do you hear me this morning? So Nehemiah stands firm. He doesn't back down. The wall gets finished in 52 days because he was faithful he would not put down his tools to defend himself to fight to try to clear up the gossip hey listen gossip is going to do what it wants to do that's not your concern you stay focused on your task and stay focused stay faithful on the truth see imitate intimidation is what the enemy wants to use and everything that they do in this situation is to intimidate them intimidation is overcome by staying focused on your task when pharaoh tried in intimidating moses moses stayed focused on the task and he successfully led the children out of bondage intimidation is overcome by staying focused when goliath tried to intimidate david david stayed focus on the task and defeated the giant. It's about staying focused. When Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem tried to intimidate Nehemiah, Nehemiah stayed focused. We have to never let go of the task that God has put before us. Listen, for some of you in here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. Don't walk out this room without having the protection of Jesus. Don't walk out of this room without being 100% certain that you have Christ in your life. I want to talk to you. Pastor Jeremy wants to talk to you. Listen, as we look at the story of Nehemiah, I'm just so reminded that God doesn't want us to be isolated. God wants us to work hard in community with other believers, and he wants us to trust him 
to settle the gossip, to settle the slander, and to protect us from every single arrow the enemy might shoot at us. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for today. God, I thank you we had the opportunity to get in your word. God, I thank you that we had just another opportunity this morning to spend time studying about the Savior that you sent for us, Lord. God, I pray that as we conclude our service this this morning, that you soften the hearts, soften the hardened hearts. God, I believe that there are people in this congregation that have attended this service for years that still aren't in good standing with you. God, I pray that you would help them to recognize their need for you, help them to repent, help them to find you as Lord and Savior. And God, I ask that you help us as a church to love those hearts well. God, I pray you help us to represent you well in everything that you call us to do. And God, I pray that our trust and our faithfulness will be shown as we allow you to protect us as we just keep our eyes fixed on serving you, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray.